Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Welcome to Seattle Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and we have got a very interesting show for you guys today, and uh, very, I'm very, very excited to announce that we have a very special guest joining us, and I'm so pleased to announce this because, I mean, he's, one, he's definitely he's someone that is treasured in the Mariners history books, and I'm proud to welcome on the show 14-year veteran, three-time All-Star, and four-time Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. Brett, thank you so much for joining me today. You got it. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing really great. I'm doing really great. But you know what? I think everybody on the show right now wants to know, what has Brett Boone been up to since he has been out of baseball? I think we all want to know that, man. Well, I, you know, there's been... <laughs> Several different tenures. So I just sent my oldest boy off to college, so we got him out of the house. <laughs> my daughter's a senior at USC. Uh, Jacob's going to be a freshman. I have two uh, twins that are 13 that I spend an awful lot of time with. Um, I worked for, let's see, I worked for the A's for a couple of years, working in the minor league. Really enjoyed that. Um, working with the young kids, and <clears throat> but it, it ended up being, you know, too much time for me. I wanted to, to spend more time with my kids and, and not miss that, you know, especially my son's varsity year this year. Um, so other than that, I don't know. I'll go out. And, I, uh, I coach a little bit of 14U this year. Um, I play golf. I go to the gym, and I pretty much hang out with the kids. So actually really boring. Really boring. I'll do an occasional golf trip. I'll make an occasional appearance somewhere, but for the most part, it's uh, you know when when the kids aren't around, it's looking for stuff to do. <laughs> well, you know what? Like I said, man, you you're you're one of the few. You're one of so many players that is treasured in the Mayor's organization. And hey, you wrote a book just recently, man. Um, the uh, Brett Boone uh, just recently came out with his own book. Home game, big league stories from my life and baseball's first family, and 
And, Brett, I think a lot of our listeners would like to know a little bit about that book and, you know, also where they could possibly pick it up. Well, you can get, um, you can get it anywhere. On, you know, you can go to Barnes & Noble or, or Amazon or I think that com. I think, kicks you to, you know, there's a lot of different places you can get it, Walmart, Target. Uh, it came out about a year ago, and... Um, you know, the book thing was something I, I never thought I'd really be interested in doing uh, when I retired. <clears throat> but um, I was kind of asked on and off for about a year, and, and we came up with a premise for the book, which was basically talking about my family and and my upbringing and, and growing up with my grandpa and my father. And, and uh, you know, I kind of thought about it, and thought that's, that's kind of an interesting story. I got to live a life that... that don't get to live. And as I went through, the process was very interesting, too. It was very educational. But once I got into it a little bit, reminiscing over the old stories that Grandpa used to tell, which, you know, at the time, you'd, you'd think to yourself, Gramps, you know, that how many times can you tell that Ted Williams story? Um, but once I was able to go back and rehash and go through it, it was kind of brought up some real, real good memories, especially from my younger days. And, uh, all in all, in the end, it's an easy read, and, uh, you know, I'm actually proud of it. It, it. It's not a controversial book where you're going to see behind the scenes, you know, what was going on or who did what. It, it, I wasn't interested in, in personal lives of, of people. It was more about my upbringing, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s with going to the clubhouse with my dad in Philly and, and Anaheim, uh, my grandpa being the first influence on me. And then up through my career and, and uh, you know, playing with my brother for, for a season and, and then into the Oakland A's and, and, and coaching and mentoring young professional players. So just basically baseball from the 40s to current. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. And it was a perspective that uh, not too many people can, can have firsthand. No, definitely. And you know what, I, I, for all of our listeners out there, you know, like like Brett Boone just said, you know, you can go and pick up a copy at any bookstore or Amazon. You know, it's, you know what, I'm going to definitely go and take a good read at that. I, I, you know, until I actually heard you on the radio just this past week, I think it was on KJR, um, I did not know you wrote, you actually wrote a book. And you know what, I'm actually a little excited to get out there and read it, man. I, I, I really would love to, love to read that because I believe it'd be a very good read, not just for me, but, you know, for all of the listeners out there as well. Yeah, you know, I, it's now I've read two books. They forced me to read mine. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, I'll tell you what, the toughest job I've ever had was, I did the audio version of the book. The, uh, that was the toughest job I've ever had, you know, because through the years I've done, you know, little sound bites or commercials. And if you go in for a 30-second, 30-second, commercial that'll usually take you two or three hours to get it just right how the producer wants you to say it the emphasis on certain certain words and then i had to do that for 270 pages and it was wow it was an experience so if you really want to you can listen to my voice for six or seven hours that'll really put you to sleep (laughs) oh so so it was just tough for you to do the audio huh well, it was. It's just monotonous. I mean, you you know, you're going over 
<clears throat> you're going over sentences and paragraphs, and if you don't get it right, you know, the guy in the booth will say, all right, let's do that again, you know. Oh. And you sit there for just hours on end. You, know, you sit there for eight or nine hours, and then you come back the next day and do it for eight or nine hours again. But uh, And you also get to, you know, you get to hear the final edited version because uh, when you read something out loud, then you really notice, like, oh, I missed that edit, or <laughs> it's already it's already in print, so it doesn't matter. But no, it was an interesting process. Don't know if I'd ever want to do it again, but um, <laughs> you know, it was an experience. It was an experience. It sounds it sounds like a great experience. Well, hey, Brett. First of all, man, we also brought we brought you on the show not just to talk about your past, but you know, talk a little bit about. The marriage right now, man. How about this? We're marriage are two and a half games back in the wild card. You know, about a couple of days ago, they looked dead in the water. Now all of a sudden, we come out and get a sweep, and we're right back in this thing, man. Well, I think so. It, it, you know, I'm I always pay close attention. You know, I'm, I'm really not a fan of any one particular team. I always will hold Seattle close to me, and I'm always pulling for them. Um, but it's been, you know, I've kind of kept my eye on them, and they've had. They've had some tough luck this year. I mean, the lineup <clears throat> has had its injuries here and there, but that's that's a real solid lineup, um, one through nine. The pitching staff, you know, they've gone through Paxton was starting to kind of emerge as a, a legitimate number one. Um, he's been on and off hurt. You know, Felix, it's it's been hurting the Mariners with Felix going down a couple times. So they've really had some adversity <clears throat> as far as the starting rotation. But, you know, they continue to just hang in there. And it's almost like I don't know if I'm getting teased or or it's really going to happen. So, uh, yeah, it was great to see this, you know, finally coming home and, and getting a sweep to start things off. Um, and I just think now that with the playoff format the way it is, um, I think it's really interesting. I think what, what uh, C-League implicated a few years ago with, you know, bringing that additional wild card in, it just keeps so many cities in the race and, and some excitement in all these cities around the country uh, for a lot longer. Whereas in the past you, you were eliminated earlier. So now it, it just keeps everybody in the game a little longer. So, you know, there's a bunch of people in the American league vying for that, that second wild card and, and by the Mariners sweeping Oakland this week, uh, they put themselves in position. Now, now let's see where they go from there. They got to go on a good run I and mean, they've got to have a great month. Because not only are you fighting for one spot, but you're you're fighting with four or five teams. So, yeah, um, you've got to have a great month. But they can do it. They're capable. I agree, man. I I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I've been a diehard fan since since 1994. That's that's when I watched my first game. I've been I've loved the team ever since I saw Ken Griffey Jr.'s club uh, home run against the Indians on opening day in '94. And you know, it's Mariners to me has just been my life. You know, Seattle is really drawn to the Seahawks mostly, but with me, I mean, <laughs> I get more excited over a preseason uh, Mariners game than I do over a Seahawks game. But I mean, that's just me. But again, baseball's always been my life, and you know, baseball's been a huge part of your life. I mean, you, you, you basically your whole family's been in baseball, and it's been you know a great ride for you, man. I mean, you were part of one of the greatest Mariners teams that was ever put together in 2001. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. I mean, what was that season like for you? I mean, because not only did, were you a part of a 116-win ball club, but 
you led the league in runs batted in. You, you broke the Mariners team record for home runs for second baseman, in which Robbie uh, just broke the record last year, I might add. You had well, 30- uh, that's what happens when you move the fences in. That's <laughs> 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 true. So, I mean. No, I but Robbie, no, I'm, I'm kidding. All, all kidding. So, Robbie is a great player. And if he keeps this pace up, which he's been doing, um, he's he's definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. So I've, I actually really enjoy watching watching Cano play, you know, all around, defensively, offensively. Truly one of the best uh, second basements of this generation. Oh, my gosh, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, Brett, I mean, what, I mean, take us through a little bit about that 2001 season and just what it was like to go through that stretch. And even though that you guys didn't get to where we – where not only not only you guys wanted to get, but you know where the fans wanted you to get. I mean, what was that season and what that what was that ride just like for you guys? I mean, it was an incredible an incredible season, nonetheless. Yeah, it was kind of surreal. I mean, it was uh, something I'd never been through before, and I wasn't a big believer in camaraderie or <clears throat> chemistry. You know, I was coming off a few years earlier. I was on the Atlanta Braves in 99. We won 100, I think 106, 107 games. We were a great team. We basically just, you know, we rolled up and, and we went out and kicked your butt every night. We had tremendous talent. And I thought that's what, what you know, great teams were. We just load up with talent and steamroll people. And I learned in 2001, now taking nothing away from the talent, we had great players on that team. You know, we had batting champs and MVPs and, uh, gold gloves all over the field. Um, but there was something special with that 2001 team. Just uh, I'd never been on a team where I wouldn't mind going to dinner with any one of my teammates. And that was the first year where we just got along like like uh, siblings. I mean, it was amazing. And as the season went on, you know, when we took the field, there was something about it. We could feel it. And, and I don't mean to get weird on you, but, I mean, you could feel there was an aura about us. You know, that other team knew we were going to beat them that night. And I, the reason I know that is because I've been on teams where I felt that feeling coming from them, like, oh, man, these guys are coming. Here they come. You know, and we'd be down two in, two runs in the seventh inning, and we knew, everybody on that team knew we were going to win. If we didn't win that night, we were, like, shocked. So it was just a special year. I can't uh, say really much more than that. It was just a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, and we're just, you know, too bad we couldn't couldn't win the whole thing, you know. Still to this day, you know, when when I get together with some of the old guys, we think, how could we not win that year, you know? And it's just kind of, it, it leaves a puzzled look on all our faces, you know. We, we try to come up with excuses. The only excuse I can come up with is uh, usually during the season you have a press corps <clears throat> that follows you around. It's usually, you know how it is. It's the local beat writers, and you've got seven, eight, nine reporters in the in the clubhouse every day after the game and then in the postseason you get the world you get the nationwide press so in the in in the playoffs you know you might you go from seven eight nine to now you might have 40 reporters well that particular year because of the record you know everybody was are you going to beat the record are you going to beat the record we had that 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 postseason press corps following us for the last month and a half two months of the season and every night it was the same question. You guys going to do it? You guys, you guys going to do it? We don't know if we're going to do it. Talk to us in about 20 games, and we'll see if we're still on that pace. 
But I think the night we did it, it was kind of like, a, ooh, finally it's over. But then we still had the playoffs to go. So if there's an excuse I can come up with, it was just a big letdown after after we finally got 116. But uh, we went in that Yankee series that, that season, and, and we just didn't play very well. The Yankees didn't play very well either. It's just they played less <laughs> less bad than we did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during that season, or, or, or let me get off that topic. Actually, I'm not going to bring that up. But, uh, you know, uh, how close do you follow the Mariners now today? And is there uh, is there any players you still keep in touch with uh, uh, as far as, you know, current players on the team? Well, nobody on the team. Everybody on the team, uh, shoot, they were babies when I was getting ready to retire, you know, with Cano and, and Cruz maybe. Uh, but the rest of the guys were, you know, they were in high school when I was when I was uh, retiring. So uh, I, I still keep in touch with uh, people in the mayor, you know, in the front office. Uh, the a couple of the announcers, um, Edgar's one of my my uh, really good friends, and you know, we were, we were really tight as teammates. So I'll talk to Edgar once in a while. Uh, but for the most part, um, no, uh, all these kids are new. But I, I'm still. You know, I still keep up with the Mariners. I'm always checking. You know, I'll go through sections where, you know, I'm doing something and I won't watch a baseball game for a week. But the first team I check when I come back is how the Mariners been doing. And I'll, I'll keep up with them. Um, you know, because that city was great to me. Uh, I, I do remember that. And those fans, you know, and I'm pulling so hard for them to win because I know when that team wins what that city's capable of. You know, we went through it in 01, you know, 2001, 02, 03. We'd be a Monday night playing a last place team, and there was forty five thousand, and that place was rocking. So I know what it's capable of. It's just you got to get back to those winning ways and get back to the postseason. So I'm always really pulling for them. You know, I, I got a chance uh, a couple of years ago. I went to a playoff game up there. Uh, Seahawks were playing the Forty ers and I hadn't been to a Seahawks game in a while. And I walked into that stadium, and I just looked around. And you could just feel the electricity, and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, this is what Safeco used to be like every night. And uh, <clears throat> it, it would be awesome to get that feeling back in that city because, you know, the old saying says, if 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 you win, they will come. And, and I'll tell you what, Seattle are some of the greatest low-key fans and, and more very nice than anything, but they love their teams. And, and you just got to show them, show them a winner, and, they, and they'll definitely support you. Definitely, definitely. Um, one of my fa- uh, uh, before I ask you this, uh, one of my favorite memories uh, that I had of you, uh, I actually uh, watched a highlight of Chris Bazio's no hitter, and I remembered in that game you actually hit a really nice home run, my man. That's right. I actually- snuck in. I, I remember. Yeah, that's the only no hitter I've ever been a part of. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Boz was one of my Boz was one of my early uh, mentors. You know, he's the guy that kind of him and Jay Buner kind of when I was getting to the big leagues, kind of took me under their wing and gave me as hard a time as you could imagine. But then at the end of the day, they were the guys putting their arm around me and just trying to teach me the ropes. You know, and and <clears throat> sometimes it was tough love, but uh, yeah, I, I I appreciate what those guys did to me when I was when I was first coming up and how they took care of me and. And like I said, pushed my buttons, gave me a hard time, but at the end of the day, we're there and we're very supportive. Yeah, there you go. Um, another thing before we get on to the final two topics before we let you go, man, 
Uh, bad flip, man. You were basically the inventor, I want to say, bad flip. Almost every time you hit a home run, you knew it was gone. You flipped the bat. And, you know, when you were playing, not a lot of people were doing the bat flips. But nowadays, it's gotten a little bit more creative. And in some cases, it's gotten a little bit more disrespectful, as in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead well, and say yeah. Well, Sorry, I, I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the current bat flips because they're all a show me bat flip. Or they're, I don't know. I, I'm not saying my bat flip was the greatest. No, I'm not saying that at all. But mine was kind of make contact. I know it's gone, all in one motion, and I'm off to first base running. So it was a contact flip, go. It wasn't contact. Oh, it's going over the fence. Throw it over the backstop and walk to first, which I see a lot of that today. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of an old school as far as, you know, home run trots and stuff like that. Watching growing up and, and actually being the same age as Kenny, as junior, that <clears throat> was one of the prettiest home run swings in the history of the game. But it, was, it wasn't forced, if you know what I'm talking about. It was follow through, kind of lean on the bat, drop it, start going to first base. And I yeah. thought it was, not only was it a pretty swing, but it was, it had some class to it. You know, it wasn't a uh, just get in your face type thing. It's like, no, I got you, and I'm going to let you know, but I'm off to first base. And I tried to do that same thing with the bat flip. It's like, boom, I got you, bat flip, but I'm gone. I'm not standing at home plate watching it. I'm on my way to first. Um, and I never meant any disrespect. It was, it was more of, it took on a life of its own. My teammates really liked it. And then the city really liked it. So I, I did it for that purpose. And and I didn't have too many pitchers take have a problem with it. And if they did and they you know, they wanted to hit me for it, it wasn't gonna change what I did. You know, I like I said, I meant no disrespect for it. It was just my little signature move. And it all came about of uh just facing pitchers for years. You know, the first pitcher that I really remember having s- some sort of stick on the mound was uh, Dennis Eckersley. And he'd strike me out, and he'd take those guns out, and he'd shoot me. And I'd be like, I'd look at him like, you son of <laughs> You know, but it's like, all right, that's what he does. Okay, when I get you, this is what I do. So uh, I, I take no exception with pitchers on the mound that have a lot of uh, emotion and pump their fists and do whatever they want. But when I do my thing, I'm going to do my thing. So uh, I think we've got a little <clears throat> lax on the rules. I mean, I see some of the – things going on in the game today a lot of celebrations by everybody and it doesn't matter if you had a year in or 15 years and you know i look at that 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 wouldn't have gone on very well when i was a a rookie in the league but times have changed and i'm not going to be that old crotchety old guy that says oh these players today don't you know i enjoy watching the players today um the game is different it's definitely gotten more athletic you got a lot of young super talented guys and there's a lot of celebration, but but I see a lot of smiles on a lot of kids' faces playing now, you know, and it seems like everybody's having a good time. And I think, you know, so I've changed my stance from old school to I think it's okay because baseball is about having fun. It's a kid's game. It's about having fun and putting on a show for the fans. It's essentially entertainment. It's really no different than if we – you know, buy our pass to the movies, and we go watch a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, when you go watch a big league baseball game, my job is to entertain you. So so I'm kind of softening up my stance, and I see these guys doing their dances, and, 
you know, doing whatever they do to their teammates in the dugout. And I've kind of learned to, you know what, these guys are having a good time. I think it's good for the game. Fans are having a good time. They embrace it. So uh, it's just evolving, you know. The game evolves. It's a different game than it was when I played. <clears throat> but when I played, it was a different game than my dad played. And in 50 years, it's going to be an even different game then. So as long as the guys are out there playing hard, and like I said, the talent level is, is getting better and better just because of the way these kids at a young age prepare and, and train and, and diet and uh, <clears throat> with the technology we have now. Um, nothing but positive, nothing but players getting better and better, and I think they're going to continue to get better and better as life goes on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, two more things before we uh, let you go, man. Uh, I remember also back in 2001 you were saying of how, you know, pitchers, they get, they get easily offended nowadays because of uh, the bat flips, but I remember in 2001 – um, Omar Vizquel had a little bit of problem with Arthur Rhodes with his earrings in there, and it created a little bit of a scrimmage. And that was one of my favorite moments as of that 2001 year, because I'm like, why is he making such a big deal about his earrings? He can barely see them from the from right there behind the plate. But you know, I mean, what was your favorite Mariner, or excuse me, what was your favorite memory? As a member of the Seattle Mariners organization, well, I don't think I don't think I had a favorite. Uh, excuse me, I don't think I had a favorite one memory. You know, I I think my whole, especially the second time around. I mean, I came up with the Mariners in the early '90s. I got traded to the Reds, and then years later, I returned to the Mariners. Um, and that second tenure, I, I really don't have any bad memories. I mean, I just. The group of guys spoke for themselves. I mean, an awesome group of guys I got to play with in the early 2000s. Um, the way the city embraced me, um, just the times. The American League West was, you know, by far the class of Major League Baseball at the time, so we had battles within our division. Um, and I don't think one particular time really <clears throat> uh, shines as far as, you know, one memory. If I had to pick one, I think the All-Star game in 2001 was pretty special. I mean, I think – I forget. You probably know the numbers, but I think we had eight guys on the team. You did. Four or five, four or five in the starting lineup. And the way that city uh, took to us – and I remember just especially us, you know, the current Mariners. Uh, you know, when I went out, and I, that was my first home run derby, and the, the ovation I got was like an ovation I've never gotten before. Um, so those are special times that I do remember. And that, that was one of them definitely that stands out in my time in Seattle. That was definitely a special moment, man. I, I agree with you, man. That, that entire 2001 season was filled with nothing but special memories. Uh, last thing before we get, you, we get you off, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being here on the show, man. And I hope that in the future we can actually get, bring you back on the show, uh, you know, talk some playoff ball and maybe, uh, before the next season starts, we'll get you on here to talk some uh, spring training ball as well. Sure, I'll be happy to. Well, thanks so much. Again, and one more thing before you get going, man. Your bat flip in 2001 became so famous that I believe it was the next year <laughs> the Mariners, ma Mariners made one of their famous commercials of your bat flip, of you flipping everything. You flipped the rake after you got done raking up the leaves. You flipped your... Yeah. Uh, your spoon after you're done, uh, cereal, and then you fl flipped your toothbrush and everything. And then, of course, uh, at the end, I just love it. I, I can't remember 
who it was, but you say, uh, you know, this is a nice bowl, and the manager just looks at you and says, don't even think about it. Oh, that, it. Was, that was our uh, general manager at the time, Pat Gillick. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, those men, they do a great job. I mean, year after year. I, I love watching all the Edgar commercials. I mean, you just can't teach Edgar's personality. So he, just by him being in it, it's funny to me. I'll start laughing without even seeing the content. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they, the Mariners do a great job. That was that was one of the funnier ones. And uh, you know, my twins were were just being born, and, and you know, when I when I left Seattle, they were only two years old, so I don't really remember all that. And, you know, they'll pull these commercials up on YouTube, and yeah, what's that all about? You know, and I've got to explain it to them. My older my older kids, they they remember it, but uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, fun times. Definitely, those were amazing times. And, again, thank you so much, Brett, for being here on the show. To everyone who was listening, again, you can actually go and buy uh, Brett's, uh, Brett Boone's book, uh, Home Game Big League Stories from My Life and Baseball's First Family. You can also follow him on Twitter at TheBoon29. And, again, also, I also I've almost forgot to say, but big congrats to your son to going off to college to Princeton, man. That's, again, fourth-generation Boone. And, again, Brett, thank you so much for being here on the show, and we hope, that, again, to have you back on here very, very soon to possibly talk to the Mariners playoffs. All right. That, that sounds good. That definitely sounds good. Thank you so much, Brett. You got it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Brett Boone, folks, uh, again, we're going to be taking here a quick little bit of a short break, uh, and we're going to be introducing, of course, our co-host, Matt, to join us, as always, and... Uh, before we get before we get that done, I just want to say again a big a big 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 thank you so much to Brett Boone um, because I mean it's just it's just you don't ever get to you know talk to a former Mariner like that and you know just have a conversation with him like that and it's just it was just so much fun to do it so again thank you so much to Brett Boone and again you can again you can go ahead and buy his book anywhere. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere they need to, and of course follow him on Twitter at the Boon Twenty Nine. And uh, we're gonna here take a little bit of a quick short break. We're only gonna be, we'll be back here in about a minute or about a couple of seconds. But I will leave you guys with Brett Boone's bat flip commercial. here on Seattle Sports Talk Podcast, and again, Brett Boone just joined us, uh, and, you know, it was so much fun to just talk with him, and it's, you don't, again, you don't ever get that opportunity to to just, you know, you know, have a conversation with a Mariners legend like that. I mean, again, it was so much fun to watch him play. Uh, when I was in, you know, middle school, I was in middle school when he was actually uh, with the organization. I was 11 years old when he came back, and you know, it, I I, I kind of wanted to ask him what it, what the deal was up with his blonde hair at that time, but I, we ran out of time. We just, 
you know, we just uh, had to get to, had to get to uh, different things. But uh, I want to introduce the producer. His new nickname is now the producer. Matt, coming on the show now. always a pleasure to join you and great interview with Brett Boone an absolute class act and an absolute piece of Seattle Mariner history that just just uh really excited to hear from him and uh, I'm going to be picking up his book home game that you had brought up I'm really looking forward to to that and I just want to encourage everyone all of our Seattle Mariner fans if you're not following this guy on Twitter Get on there. He is absolutely just a great, great person to follow. A lot of fun. Very knowledgeable of the game. An absolute Seattle Mariner legend. But it's a pleasure to be with you, Mike. Always a pleasure to have you on there. And, of course, I, I told Matt earlier I was going to play some Whitney Houston for him. Yeah, and, and, again, he, he officially has a nickname now. He was putting out our, our the itinerary for the show and he's like, you know, I'm just like the producer. And I was like, boom, there's your nickname, man. <laughs> the producer. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. And we've got some things to talk about, man. First of all, mm-hmm. um, the Mariners are no longer dead in the water. They mm-hmm. are two and a half games back in the wild card after sweeping the A's. But, you know, Matt, I want to say this. First of all, I love the mm-hmm. fact that we're still not dead in the water. That we're still keep, that we keep that we keep fighting and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to really get into it as much because whenever I do, they end <laughs> up disappointing us in the in the end. They end up they end up getting swept and everything. And but you know what? I'm I'm going to still mm-hmm. keep a I'm going to keep a positive attitude and and say you know what? We are two and a half games back. We've got this. We 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 have this. We have a shot at this thing, and we're gonna take it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, big sweep. Hey, we just finished a big sweep of the Oakland A's, uh, and uh, you know what an outstanding performance day by uh, Andrew Alberts, right? Oh my gosh! First of all, I don't know if you saw my tweet today, but um, I'm I'm still upset at Dave Sims, uh, and and I'm also, <laughs> and I'm also upset at the. Uh, the athletics Twitter account because for what? Well, I'm more upset at Dave Sims because let's face it, I, I, I'm going to be going. I'm trying to get into the broadcast game myself, and I know that there's an unwritten rule, no matter who you are, that you don't mention anything while it's going on. And as soon as Sims mentioned that there was a no hitter going, what happens in the next batter? The guy hits a home run, no hitter gone, and I was just like, Are you freaking kidding me? How many times? Is Sims going to keep pissing me off like this and being so stupid? I know it's not his fault. 
I really, I, I know it's not his fault, but I want to blame somebody for this. The unwritten rules. The unwritten rules. Well, the good, the good news is, hey, we won the game. Uh, you know, Albers did a great job. Our bats were alive, and over the last three games, we've put up over, tw- or we put up twenty runs. And if you're keeping track, we're back over 500, which is which is a great, great win today. And you know, you know, Mike, the bottom line of all of it is, is this. And you know, I'm a numbers guy. The bottom line is there's 25 games left, and we're two and a half games out of the wild card. And we we know what we need to do. We know what we need to do. We can't control what any other team has or what any other team does. We got to go out there and we got to win some games. I agreed. And you know what? It all starts with certain guys getting hot at the right time. And I'm going to say this. Gene Segura, Mitch Haniger, and Robinson Cano have gotten hot at the right time. And and there's only two other guys that we really need them to get back to get hot, and that's Kyle Seeger and Nelson Cruz. If, if all of these guys can come together and stay hot for the entire month and help out this pitching – Guess what? This team is this team is not just going to make the wild card. They're going to make the wild card with a with you know going ten games over five hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and sometimes you know it, it's a little tough in a hundred and sixty two game season. It can be a little tough to see the finish line, but I think sometimes when you can see that finish line, when you can say like, hey, we actually have a deadline now, and, and it's real. It's it's not a hundred games out. It's we we got so I think October first is our last regular season game. You know October, we got less than a month. I'm sorry, October third. Third, okay, October third. All right, hey, less than a month, or exactly a month. Sorry, exactly a month. You got 30 days to achieve your goal, and you know I'm I'm thinking, you know, this is that team where that momentum really starts shifting. Those guys have played really well these last three games. We got six more in a row at home. You know, a couple division games. You got uh, Houston and Anaheim. Great way to make up some uh, some room in that wild card. But it's uh, it's do or die time. And like you said, the pitching has to show up and the batting has to show up. And we you know, hey, one game at a time. We can take this one game at a time. I, I think we can really fight for that wild card spot, and uh, hopefully, we'll get it. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I'm going to say this. I'm going to kind of sound like a cynical, cynical jerk, jerkweed right here. But you know, even if we don't get the postseason, we're still going to taste October baseball for three days, right? <laughs> oh, don't go there. <laughs> you're you're right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and I feel you, and um, I, I know every Mariner fans really just hey, we're we're just really hoping that uh, you know they can dial it up. And it'd be really nice to get uh, Felix and Paxton back in there to finish it up. Uh, We could really use those guys. And uh, I think kind of to your point, what you said earlier on, I think the key is going to be the bats getting hot, those guys getting hot again. And if they can do that and they can finish out this month strong, I believe we will get that wild card. Yeah, I believe so. But, you know, I want to send out a – I mean, huge – Huge props to Matt Albers for who, in his last start, which was, I'm going to say this, the last start that Albers made was perhaps one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever watched Mariners baseball because I've never seen a team commit five errors 
one inning, but you have to give Albers props because he came mm-hmm. out after a five-error, six-plus inning effort to try to keep us in that ball game, and mm-hmm. he he pitches one hit over six innings. I mean, come on, no Absolutely. one ex- nobody expected Albers to do this, and you know what? I'm saying this. I was I was so happy when we actually did bring him up because I was. I looked at what he was doing down in AAA, and I was like, you know what, this guy can help us. And mm-hmm. right now, with the extended uh, with the extended roster, now we don't really need to be making call ups every other day. We have, you know, a good bolt. We actually have a decent bullpen right now because we, for one thing, Shea Simon's coming in making his Mariners debut. What a debut it was! Mm-hmm. Um, but. I'm going to say this, though. Giovanni Gallardo needs to stay the hell out of the starting rotation and get back into the bullpen because I w- I'm, I'm being honest. I would rather have either Marco Gonzalez or Emilio Pagan take his spot because, I, I mean, I don't I, – I mean, Giovanni Gallardo has been one of the worst pickups that uh, – that Jerry DePoto has made this entire season. I mean, yes, we, we offloaded, you know, Seth Smith uh, – an aging, slow outfielder who, you know, is not quick on his feet, but we got in return a guy who will give up, you know, between four to six runs a game, even though he'll give you between six, six, six and a half, seven innings, and that's just not acceptable because if the the offense can't back that up, you know, you're going to get a loss in that, and you know, Giovanni's kind of shown me signs that he can possibly still pitch, but you know, there's very, there's been those very few games, and it's just, I mean, I, I think I think I speak for everybody when I say that if the Mariners get into the postseason, Giovanni Gallardo better not be in the starting rotation. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you have to throw uh, Marco Gonzalez, Emilio Pagan. I don't care if you have to go out and get a guy who is who hasn't won a game in three years. Just do not put Giovanni Gallardo in the rotation no longer. And again, if you get into the postseason, leave him out of the starting rotation because I would not trust Giovanni Gallardo in a postseason spot. Even if we were up, even if we are up two games to none, I would not want Giovanni Gallardo out there because every game counts and I do not trust Giovanni Gallardo on the mound. I'm right there with you, Mike. I'm right there with you, Mike. I think you said it perfectly. I don't think there's anything more needs to be said about that. that that's <laughs> spot on, and it, it really is. And uh, you know, the key here too is those bats. And uh, you know, like Brett Boone had said earlier, you know, one through nine, we got a great lineup. You know, and if those guys can deliver like they did today, this is going to be a really tough team to beat. And this is this if they can play like they played. This over this last series for the rest of the month, this is a wild card team. This is a playoff team, in my opinion, no doubt. It is, and I'm going to say this: if we if we get into the postseason and we play the Yankees, I'm going to say this: we're not losing. We will, mm-hmm. because I'm going to say this: if we get Paxton and Felix Hernandez back, now I will say this: if you gave me those two options to put out in a wild card game, give me Paxton all day because I'm not going to. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. I love Felix to death. I really do. I still love him. I still adore him. 
but he's not the dominant ace that you need to go out for a one-game postseason uh, game. Now, if we get into the division series, go ahead and throw him out in game one because guess what? There you go. Felix finally has his playoff game, and I think that he would be even more pumped to get out there in the division series rather than in the wild card game where he knows that everything is every pitch is the mo- is possibly the most str- stressful and most uh, possibly the most nerve wracking pitches of his career because one pitch, one mistake, and that's it. The game the game is gonna get out of hand. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and go ahead. Uh, you know, you know, Michael. I was gonna say was. Uh... <laughs> You know, uh, and, and I keep reiterating it, but it, but it's it's the truth is that you know if no matter who's out there on the mound, if we can get that run support like we got uh, this last series, twenty runs in the last three games, if we can deliver like that and give ourselves that cushion, this this team is going to be really tough to beat, and, and that's what we need. And I, and I think I think in Felix's case, uh, you know, I think Felix is is one of those guys who's kind of adjusting, his body's adjusting, you know, he. You don't throw heat your entire life, and it takes some time. And I, I think Jason Verlander went through something similar, and Felix is getting there, but it's an adjustment, and it takes some time. And right now, more than ever, you know, it, it, we need that run support. We need that run support. We're not going to be winning a lot of 1-0 games. We got, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have to work for it. Our bats are going to have to be cracking. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we get on to our next topic, we're going to be talking a little Seahawks, and then we'll finish up with. Uh, the Huskies, of course. well, actually, I think we should talk Huskies before we talk Seahawks, man. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. I know everyone's really excited. I know uh, the purple rain is coming down in Seattle. A lot of folks are really happy. I'm really happy. I, I, I think this Husky team gonna, is going to make a dent in this season's playoffs. And I don't want to get too, too far ahead of myself, but uh, I, I think this is a real special team that's primed to do a lot of damage this year. Definitely. Um, one more thing, Mariners. Uh, you know, you mentioned Verlander, and guess who we're going to be? <laughs> guess who we're going to be? Facing? Right? We're facing <laughs> Verlander. I mean, and you know what? Is are we going to see a Ver, Justin Verlander, uh, Gerard Dyson bunt 2.0? You know, because the last, it, it, I think everybody in, I think that was one of the greatest games in Mariners history. That has to rank among the top 100 best games in Mariners history. You know. Here is Justin Verlander. He's going into, what was it, the sixth inning? Yeah, yeah, it sounds all right. The sixth inning, he's pitching a perfect game with two outs. Here's the thing, two outs. And the Mariner and Gerard Tyson places a perfectly placed bunt, and Verlander not just, he didn't, he didn't just shake that off and pitch a great game. Gerard Dyson rattled his cage. And the Mariners went off on him and scored, I think, between three or five runs. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember how many runs we scored exactly, but, I mean, we dominated the rest of that game, came back and won that game. And, again, you know what? I'm going to say this. In in over 100 games that I could rank as among the best, I think that game has to rank among the top 50. Oh, that was an outstanding game, and that was uh, that was one of the signature wins of uh scott services tenure so far in seattle and uh i mean this year alone i gotta say for you know all the mariner fans i've talked to that that ranks number one or number two 
That, that was an outstanding win. That was a big game. That was a big momentum shifter, kind of where we were at that point in season two. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, again, man, you know, in Scott, in Scott Service's tenure, or so far his career with the Mariners, I think the best – here's the thing. I rank that – if you're going to be ranking wins for Scott's mm-hmm. career as a manager – that's number two on my list. Number one, mm-hmm. number one is the ten-run comeback last year. There is mm-hmm. no doubt. I'm going to say this: that ten-run comeback, in my opinion, is possibly in the top ten of greatest games in Mariners history. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great game. Absolutely great game. That was, God, that was exciting, man. I social media was blowing up. TV was blowing up. It, it, Mariner Nation was going crazy. That was that was such a there was no no quit in that team, and, and I, I think that's where you saw a, a lot of that culture starting to kind of turn, you know, into hey this this team could be a playoff competitor, and uh, they you know, they didn't quite get the job done, and this team has battled through injuries this year, but man they're still fighting. They're only two and a half games out of the wild card. And it's wins like those that change the culture of a program. Yeah, and I'm going to say this, man. You can ask you can ask a couple people on Twitter, but I'll bring up the tweet. I'll show you. But I actually called that comeback. I think it was in the fifth. I think it was in the fourth inning, or the fifth. No, it was in the fifth inning that I t- posted the tweet. I said, "All right, Mariners, time to start this ten-run comeback." I mean, I don't take credit for it, but. You know what I? I think a lot of optimistic fans uh, will say, or or a lot of fans on Twitter will say that you know, hey, I I really did call the comeback. You know, but he he was he's one of those optimistic. I don't really want to see the reality in in this team, but he wants to have faith all through the first pitch. And you know what? Every game that I've watched and every game that I've listened to, I've listened all the way and watched all the way up to the last pitch. It doesn't matter if we're down by twenty runs. You know. This is something that, again, like I told Brett Boone, this is something that matters to me because Mariners baseball, in my opinion, is more important than Huskies football, than Seahawks football, than Sounders soccer. You know, because you know, really, the Mariners were—I mean, the Mariners were the were the were Seattle's really second team. They were, re, or actually, no, they were the third team. The Sounders actually came into existence before the Mariners and the Seahawks. But I think the Mariners really got the more attention first off. And I think that's why I would consider, as we've discussed so many times, that Seattle is really a baseball town. And once we start winning more and more games and we get into the postseason, it'll show. Mm -hmm. The fans will come out. Like Brett Boone said, if you win, they will come. Exactly. Exactly. And I loved how he described the culture and – you know, just showing up to a game at the safe and 45,000 faithful showing up. And I remember that energy in the city, and I remember going to those games in 2001, and there was nothing like it. It was just outstanding. That was a baseball city. And, you know, things change. Teams change. They go through ups and downs. But, you know, that 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 can be an absolute baseball city, and it, it's proven it can be. And that was really special, and I can't wait. Um, for Scott Service and Mariners to take that next step in bringing back that that type of culture to Seattle. Agreed, man. Agreed. Um, 
Getting off to the uh, newest topic now, we get to talk about Huskies football. And mm-hmm. I didn't get to watch the rest of the game, but, you know, we pulled out the 30 to 10, or was it 30 to 13? Uh, 16, 30 to 16. 30 to 16? Um, yeah, I just had it in front of me. Yeah, it was, it was something like that. Maybe it was uh, 30 to 14. Yeah, I think it was 30 to 14. Definitely, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say this. Not the most brilliant win, not the greatest start to the season because, I mean, <clears throat> for for until Dante Pettis took that punt return back for a touchdown, it looked like – it really did look like that Rutgers was actually going to possibly pull off the upset because, I mean, I've never seen this offensive – I mean, the only time i really seen us play this bad was against Alabama last year. And I'm not going to be that that fan that goes on Twitter saying that we want Bama again because I don't think we're ready for them yet. I mean, Rutgers. I'm going to say this: Rutgers is 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 a better team than it was last year, a hunt, hands down, a better team than it was last year. And I think this was really our first real challenge of the season. But mm-hmm. if this team can go through the Pac-12 and beat teams like USC, Stanford, and Oregon, who just had an incredible, I mean, Oregon looks like it's back to its dominance dominance already, but, you know, when you go against uh, South Utah, you know, that's really not something to brag about. I mean, really, if you if you put 77 points up on, on South Utah, again, it's that, that's not something to really brag about, but the offense did seem electrified. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, crying out loud, the, the Ducks took a 100-yard kick return to start their season. I mean, how... How many times do you even see that that a team starts their season with a kick return for a touchdown? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know they they played well, and uh, you know it's it's tough to really gauge where a team uh, is in the, the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, if if you watch the USC Western Michigan game, that was actually a game until the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and, and and it wasn't that you know the the Huskies played bad. Is it? it they just didn't play great. You know, they didn't make a ton of mistakes, but, uh, you know, they didn't make a ton of big plays. And, you know, one of the things that really stands out about that is, you know, you know, it's tough to travel across the country. And I think that's one of the reasons why they kind of chose that game because you get that invaluable travel experience. You know, it takes time. You're going from the West Coast to the East Coast. you got to adjust for the time difference. And just kind of get that experience on the road, especially for the younger players. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's maybe not ideal for just going out there and blowing out a team, but it's great experience. And you know what they did was they went out there, they played well, and they won. And uh, you know they're, they're back home next week to take on the Grizzlies in Montana. But you know, and, and I, I don't know, I'm not I'm not putting uh, words in Coach Pete's mouth, but. I, I think one of the things you're kind of looking to do in this circumstance is you, you want to play smart you know, don't overdo it. Get some of the young guys some reps, maybe throw a couple new wrinkles in the offensive scheme, defensive scheme, you know, win in a convincing fashion, which they did, and get on to the next one. And, and they did that. And it wasn't this giant blowout, but, you know, they, they really didn't look bad. And I, I liked how Jake Browning handled it. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, too uh, thrilled with his performance and what he saw from the team. He looked like a, a great leader out there, and I, I think they're going to come out uh, this weekend against Montana and just just absolutely crush them. And 
Yeah, Coach Pete has a way of uh, he you know I he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And uh, now they got some film to watch. And you know they lost they lost quite a few guys. You know you lost a first rounder John Ross, and you lost a, quite a few guys on your defense. And so uh, this is this is a great experience. But it's and I, I've said this before, but it's tough to start off on the road. It, you know, make a trip across the country. Even the guys in the NFL, man, they talk about it. It's it's long travel time. I mean, it's a six to eight hour flight, and you gotta. Then you got a three-hour difference. You know, if you're playing at noon, it's like playing at 9 a.m. back home. So I thought they they didn't play great, but they didn't play bad. And uh, now they got something to go off of. Definitely, uh, things to take away from this game. I mean, Brownie he did he did do pretty well in the second half. He finished 17 for 30, 284 yards. Uh, he was not happy with how they did play, though. He was very upset in his pre, in his post game. Uh, in his post-game uh, interview, and I like that, that he is actually taking responsibility, saying of how poorly they played. Uh, mm-hmm. Newly, basically, star-wide receiver Dante Pettis, three receptions, 85 yards, and also a two punt returns, 80 yards, one for 61 yards for a touchdown. He ties... He's good. He's good, rest. man. He ties Deshaun, Shedd's, or Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson's record for the most punt return touchdowns taken in the Pac-12, and of course... Newly rookie cornerback Byron Murphy, two interceptions. So that's another thing to take away. And again, Absolutely. yeah, they're they're coming home. They're going to be facing Montana. It, that's not something, you know. I I don't I do not expect them to lose. I I mean, if no. if Montana acts, uh, if Montana really does pull off the upset, that's just that's just going to be so shocking to me. Um, another. <laughs> Another thing to take away from Saturday was, you know, the the the, the Cougars. They look they look pretty damn good. I think we might, I think we might uh, come Apple Cup. I think we have a challenge on, on our hands. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up a big Husky fan and going to the games. And uh, but you know, I, I will say this: it, it is, man. And this is, I hate to bring this up, but. You know, if, if you were a Husky or a Cougar fan in, you know, the mid-late 2000s, it was tough to watch. It was just the absolute – the Apple Cup became the toilet bowl. I, I mean, it was just the two worst teams in the conference battling out to see who was the worst. And now you actually have an Apple Cup that means something, that that can determine who's going to the Pac-12 championship and what bowl game you're going to. Uh, I, I like it. I, I like that Luke Falk. I like that team. I think um, that Mike Leach is just an absolute perfect fit for that program. He's doing a great job. And while uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, UW winning the Pac-12 this year, I, I think the Apple Cup is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And the whole state of Washington is going to be really, really excited to watch that game. Definitely. And uh, before we get on to the Seahawks, we're going to be inter- introducing a new, uh, a, basically a new game that we're going to be playing every single week that includes both the Huskies and the Seahawks. So before we get on to the Seahawks, man, we got to we got to give our predictions, and we're going to get be getting points. We're going to be we're okay. going to be doing we're going to be doing a little bit of a game, and we're going to see who wins during the entire season combined. So. Um, Matt, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask you what your prediction for the score is, and then I'm going to ask you of how many po- or basically um, 
who you think is going to be the top performer in throwing, rushing, and receiving. Mm-hmm. Or no, 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 uh, uh, rushing and receiving, and then okay. you got to get a wild card of your of who of of a big play that you think is going to happen, and. Mm-hmm. Now, whoever comes close to the amount of points that we said is going to happen or whoever comes close depends on how many points you get. So, mm-hmm. let's so so here here we go. Let me give you let me get your prediction real quick. So, uh UW Montana, what's your score prediction, my man? Montana, I haven't watched too much Montana football, so I'll spot them 6 points. I think you're going to see UW win this game. Sixty-three to six. Sixty-three to six. All right. So. Oh, it's gonna be an absolute blowout. All right. So, uh, let me go ahead and give my prediction. I'm gonna give a little bit of a benefit to Montana as well. Okay. I'm gonna spot them ten points. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spot them ten points, but I say the Huskies win this one, uh, seventy-two to ten. Okay. I okay. really, I really think that they are gonna be so pissed off at their offense that they're gonna just come out and say. You know what? We're going to have no mercy on on Montana. We're just going to dominate them. So there's that mm-hmm. for you. Now, here's how this is going to work. Since I have, I, I guess the more points. If you come mm-hmm. with, you come within within at least ten points mm-hmm. of your guess w- between fifty three and sixty and sixty three, mm-hmm. you're going to be getting points for it. Um, okay. If you get the amount correctly, you get a hundred points automatically. Okay. Now with me, if I if if they score a point above sixty three, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Score, okay. Yeah, if they score a point above sixty three, you're screwed on that one. Now, if you also guess the amount that you predicted that the other team gets, you also get you get fifty points. Okay. And, okay. Since, since we're so lopsided with that, here's the thing. Um, we're going to separate the points by three. So if – or no, I'm going to say two. If they get between – or since you since you got a touchdown or so, if they get between um, eight and six points, you're going to be getting mm-hmm. 20 points. And okay. if – and if they get between eight and ten points, or and if they get eleven, or no, eight and eleven. So since, because I'm going to spot myself an extra point, just to, or no, I said six and nine, right? Mm-hmm. Or six, six and eight. No, I said six and eight. Um, so if they get between nine and eleven points, so I so I gave both of us two points. If they get between nine and eleven points, I get I get the points as well. All right. Okay. So now, who is going to be the leading rusher in this game? Okay. Um, I'm gonna go with Miles Gaskin. You know, um, you know, Levon Coleman got twice as many carries. Um, I think they're kind of saving Miles a little bit, but uh, he still had more yards. Uh, he averaged 8.4 uh, last weekend or um, last game against Rutgers. So you know, I'm gonna go with Miles Gaskin. All right. How many yards do you think he's gonna put up? You know, I think the average eight point four. I think they'll give him somewhere between. I'm, I'm gonna say eighty five yards. Eighty five yards. All right. Yeah. So let's go with a receiving. Who's gonna be the leading wide receiver in this one? You know what? You know what I'm gonna do is uh, I'm gonna change it up. I know it's easy to say Dante Pettis on this one, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to go with Miles Gaskin again. Oh, well, oh, because he had yeah. a real, had, he had a, yeah, 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 he did have a good game. How many how many yards is he going to get on the? Uh, yeah. uh, I'm going to say he's going to go 85 on both. Okay. okay. So that's got- 170 uh, combined rushing and receiving. Okay. All right. So we got ourselves a good game. Uh, me, I think Gaskin might actually clock up. I'm going to say he's going to get a, at least 100 plus yards, but I'm going to just go ahead and say he's going to get 100 yards okay. on, on rushing. And I still think Pettis is going to be the guy who is going to be getting the receiving yards. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to knock off 105 yards in this one. Okay. And, okay. And so um, here's the deal: if you get between um, 75 and 85, or no, 75, yeah, 75 and 90 yards, you get the points. Okay. Same, same goes with receiving. And so if I get between 90 and 105 with Gaskin on rushing and both Pettis, then I got the points. Okay, okay. Sounds right. good. All right, now we need a big play. We have to get a prediction of a big play. What is your prediction for the huge play that's going to really turn this thing around in this game? Mm. Let me think here. All right, you ready for this? Oh, yeah, go ahead. You ready? Byron Murphy has a pick six. I'm going with the uh, the true freshman, the young guy with two picks uh, uh, last week. I'm saying he has a pick six. Okay, I like this one. Now, if he gets an interception, I'm still going to give you points. Okay. So, all right. So, me, I think Pettis is going to break the record. Okay. A punt, re- a punt return touchdown. I think he's going to break the record. And so, yeah. So, um, now here's the thing. I'm taking a little bit of a gamble here because if you get an interception, you get points. But if okay. I don't get a touchdown, I don't get any points. So I'm taking a little bit of a gamble on this one. Okay, okay. So I here's appreciate that. All right, so here's how we're going to do it. Um, I need you to write this down on your notes if you can. I am. All right, so the points. So if we get between 10 or 15 points of, the, of how many points that we gave to the Huskies or to Montana, each of us gets 10 points. Okay. Now, if we guess correctly, that's fifty points. No matter okay. no matter who, no matter which points we get. If we guess one one of those teams gets one of that score, that's fifty points automatically. Okay. Now with Gaskin, it's the same with what we were doing with the scoring. If we get between um, ten, ten or five yards, yeah, between uh, with Gaskin, it's you with between seventy-five and ninety yards. If you get between that, that's 10 points for you. Okay. Now, with me, it's between 90 and 105 with Gaskin on rushing. Okay. And then the same, the same. so, but if you get the amount of rushing yards correctly, you get another 50 points. All right. And the same goes for the receiving, so we don't have to, we don't, we already know what that one is. Now, if you get the wild card, this is the big one. If you get the wild card, you get 100 points. Okay, okay. 100 so points for the wild card. Yep, so it's 10 points for a close guess with either category. 
Okay. And including your wild card, you're going to get an extra. Here's the thing: if he gets an if he gets an interception, you get 50 points. Okay. Because you said he's going to get a pick six, but if he gets an interception, that's still a half guess. So you get 50 points. But again, so here's okay. how the scoring is going to go with us: um, 10 points if we get close to the scoring, 10 points if we get close to the rushing, 10 points if we get close to the uh, receiving. And 50 points if we get half half correct with the with the uh, with the wild card. Now, if we guess correctly with the points, that's 20. That's 20 points. Or no, I said 50, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 50 points for the points. 50 points for rushing. 50 points for receiving. And 100 points for the wild card if we guess it correctly. Okay. All right. So now. We have one more thing to talk about, and this might actually take a, a, an extra 30 minutes if you don't mind. Okay. All right, so we have to talk some Seahawks, of course. With the season now a week away, we are, mm-hmm. in, we are basically one full week away from kicking off in Green Bay. And I'm going to say this, man. This is going to be an absolute – this is the season that the Seahawks put together a team like they did in 2013-2014 in which the defense won us a championship. This has been a very strange year in the past week where we've seen so many trades and releases go on like Cassius Marsh. I was so shocked when we got rid of Cassius Marsh. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was baffled that we, re- that we traded Cassius Marsh but I was happy that we also traded Jermaine Kirsch for Sheldon Richardson. And huge. who? Oh, that was huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. That, that blockbuster trade. That, yeah. That's huge. And I'm going to say this. He actually tweeted me the other night because he was at the game, and the Mariners took a good photo of him, and I said, you know, that, that is a Griffey jersey. I could tell that was a Griffey jersey. And, <laughs> and you can look on his tweets and replies, but he said that it was his favorite player – outside of the Cardinals organization. Um, but I think the big thing that we are also a little concerned about is Cason Williams going to the Browns. Um, he had a hell of a preseason, and it just – it basically proved that the preseason means nothing. It doesn't matter what you do in the preseason. It doesn't matter if you put up 500 yards passing as a rookie. Mm-hmm. It, the preseason does not matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know what, and look, there's there's been a lot of talk about that, but I mean, look, and, and this is my opinion, and uh, I, I really like Casey Williams. I've been a fan of his ever since he was at UW, and you know, I I think a big part of you know the Seahawks fans really kind of uh, voicing their opinions on uh, his release was uh, you know the part that a lot of them grew up with him. He's He's a local guy from the Sammamish area, played at UW, played for the Seahawks, kind of, kind of like a similar Jermaine Kerr story. You know, he played great in the preseason, but, Mike, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, this just really shows how little the preseason really means. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, in my opinion, I think John and Pete are two of the best talent evaluators in the league. And if they believe that Amara Darbo and, uh, Tanner McAvoy give the Seahawks a better chance of winning than having Cason Williams, or they bring a skill set to the table that Cason Williams doesn't, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a guy that's going to kind of play in as a fourth or fifth receiver. 
And I, I like him. I'm a fan of his. I really hope that, uh, you know, he does well in Cleveland. But uh, I, I have so much faith in John and Pete that I'm like, hey, if you tell me that, that we're going with these guys over him, I'm good with it. I'm not an NFL GM, but I trust these guys. They have a proven track record. And so I, I'm good with it. And I know it doesn't rub everyone the right way. Everyone's happy about that. But I, hey, if those guys are telling me this, I think that's the right call. All right. So um, what, the thing that I posted last week that we had to discuss, and very interesting enough, the winner of the poll that I put out, if you could, if you could just keep two of these guys – and get and only and have to release one. Who would it be? Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, or Earl Thomas? Of course, no one was hardly anybody was voting at Earl Thomas. I was very even surprised that anyone voted for Earl Thomas. But the guy who was most pissed off about the Cason Williams release and who actually mm-hmm. voiced his opinion uh, was Richard Sherman, who actually by fifty-seven percent people would rather yeah. people would rather get rid of Richard Sherman than Cam Chancellor and. You know what, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go ahead and say this first off. Um, I think the people are wrong on this one because, you know, yes, yes, Richard Sherman is in a position where you can easily replace him. You can very easily re- replace Richard Sherman, but you don't want to replace Richard Sherman because he is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, whereas Cam Chancellor, I'm going to say this, Cam Chancellor is not as good as he was in his Super Bowl season. He is not as good as he was in his in his in his uh, the year that we won the Super Bowl, and the year afterwards, the man holds out when he has two years left on his contract, and he misses what four games, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, and here's the thing: I asked Cam Chancellor to come back to end his holdout. He blocked me for it, so, and he blocked so many. <laughs> No, he blocked so many 12s of this because of this. And I'm thinking in my head, that's really what you're doing for 12s who are sta- who are asking you to come back and play and forget this holdout. Where you, again, here's the thing. The man had 2 years left on his contract. And he chose to hold out, miss games and and you know, we we if we would have had Chancellor on the team during that time, we would have not lost the, the two games that we did lose. And, again, I think that Earl Thomas and, and Richard Sherman are basically the more loyal guys in the Legion, in, the, in those three guys, and I'm, and I'm putting Cam Chancellor, at, or Cam Chancellor as the guy that gets out. And I don't think that the Seahawks will re-sign him. I don't think that they will because I think Schneider understands of what kind of a, what kind, I think what really comes in comes into play in some of the the non resignees like Cam Chancellor if they don't resign him is the general manager and the coach looks at him and says let's look at his type of character and when he held out when he had again two years left on his contract that tells you a lot about his character that tells you that he's a very selfish player that he's looking at I get that he's looking out he wants more money but do it but do it in the off season he should have done that in the off season not during the season where he had to where he had to miss four games even though that we went to the Super Bowl 
Or no, 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 no. Wait, this was the year after we went to our second Super Bowl. He held out, and again, you know, we gave him the extension, which I don't think we should have given him the the extension. Because you're basically you're basically conceding to his his you know immature behavior, you know, saying I want more money or I'm not going to play. And if that was me, and if that was me as Schneider in that situation, I'd say this: you mm-hmm. either play, and we can and we can re-sign you in the off season, or you don't play and we release you. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. But you know, I voiced my opinion, and Matt, I'd like to hear your opinion on this as well. Well, when it comes to that poll, you know, uh, you know, you got, uh, you know, of the three, you know, you can only keep two out of, you know, the big, the big three: Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sermon. You only keep two of them. You know, who you letting go? Uh, like you said, it was it was a landslide. People chose Richard Sherman, and I, I think a big part of that, the reason behind that, is that well, well, one is uh, I think kind of the whole. You know, uh, off season, Richard. You know, did he or did he not ask to be traded? There's, you know, there's there's kind of rumors about you know, are, are him and Pete or him and John getting along? There's kind of turmoil, and um, eventually a lot of this stuff got debunked. But I, I think that rubbed a lot of Seahawks fans the wrong way. And you know, R- Richard Sherman's a very vocal guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But hey, when you're a really vocal guy, you know, a lot of people. We're going to have an opportunity to kind of uh, form an opinion on you, and and it's not always it's not always the uh, the best opinion. You know, you kind of put yourself out there, and so I think that plays into it. It's uh, either way. I I I love all three guys. I want them all to retire as Seahawks. I think, and this is my opinion. I know not everyone agrees with me, but I think if all three of them can continue to play at a high level. They're, they'll be Hall of Famers. I think there's something so special about those three. Um, and man, I, I don't even want to put myself out there because if I had to, if I could only keep one of those guys, I, I'll tell you what, I will. I'll do it. Um, uh, if I had to let one of those guys, it would be Richard. And uh, a big part of that would be because you can you can get a lot for Richard. You know, and uh, you know, there's there's moves being made left and right. Joe Hayden, you know, a, a shutdown corner just went to Pittsburgh. Um, I, I think the leadership that Cam and Earl bring is, is just, and Richard too, is is just second to none. Those guys really are the the heartbeat of that defense. And you know, I think kind of going back with Cam, I, I think that, and and he acknowledged that it was a mistake, but it, I, I think that you know he was in his uh, he was like 27. 28, and I think he felt that that was that was his last opportunity to get a big contract, and you know he might have had his agent in his ear. And I, I remember watching an interview with him saying, "I'll never do that again. I'll never let my brothers down." Uh, I got a lot of respect for him for for admitting he made a mistake, and um, I, I think in doing so, that's why they rewarded him with a three-year extension. But yeah, I think it's Richard, and <laughs> living in Arizona, I can tell you, for non-Seahawk fans, which I'm surrounded by a lot of them out here, I'm in Cardinal Nation out here, is they're not the biggest fan of Richard Sherman. Let me tell you, if there's one guy they dislike, it's Richard, and I think it is because he's so uh, boisterous with his, and he's so opinionated. And But in fairness to him, the dude backs it up, and he plays hard. He's a great football player, and uh, I think he's a pretty good person, too. Uh, I, I'm a fan of his. 
Definitely, definitely. All right, man. So we've come to the final segment, really. We've got to end it with this. We've got to play our game. So here we go. Week one in the NFL, Seahawks versus the Green Bay Packers, man. Who, what is your – so, again, we've got to go down here. What is your prediction for this score? Wow, I think this is going to be a one-score game. I think you got uh, any time you go into Lambeau and you play one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league like Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a battle. I think we got the defense. I think it's going to be, uh, I'm going to say, 21-18 Seahawks. Oh, good prediction, good prediction. I like that, man. So, um me, per, me, I think this is actually going to be a little bit of a different game. I think the Seahawks might actually get just an extra point or so. Okay. I'm going to say a 24 to 13 Seahawks victory. I don't okay. think the Seahawks are going to allow more than just a touchdown, and they will actually, and they will only allow two more field goals because this defense, this defense is not like the defense that it was last year. This defense is not going to go into Lambeau Field. And just you know collapse and Russell Wilson's not Russell Wilson's not going to throw six interceptions again. He's not going to do that again. He will absolutely not do that again, and he's going to light it up. But you know, uh, Pat, or rushing wise, who is going to be running the ball better for either team? Again, this is this counts for either team. Either guess will get mm-hmm. you in for points. You ready for this? Okay, let's do it. You know, I'm I'm picking this guy because this is his opportunity to show his former team what they let go. And oh that's my Eddie goodness! Lacey. Yes. So Eddie Lacy, you got the lead the lead runner for the Seahawks. How many yards is he going to put on Green Bay? Man, I think he shows up, and I, I think he throws a hundred yards on him. Oh my God! That is that. Oh, he's- this guy is going to play with a fire like you've never seen before. This this is his opportunity. How often do you, week one, you're healthy, you're fresh, do you get to go into your former team's house and show them what they let go? If there's not a fire inside of Eddie Lacy, if he hasn't been counting down the days to this game, there's something wrong with him because this is such a great opportunity and, man, I hope he puts his shoulder down and he just goes and goes and goes like the Energizer Bunny out there. This guy has, uh, man, everything's set up for this guy to do well. Wow, man. That was. <laughs> hey, man. The go Hawks, bro. <laughs> All right, so we got that. All right, so who leads the way in receiving? Again, this goes for either team. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, well. Uh, you know, I gotta think about that one. Yeah, I think originally I chased him Williams. Nah, I'm just kidding. Um, you know what? You know, you know, who I'm gonna go with on this one is a fresh Jimmy Graham. Oh, I think Jimmy yeah. Graham shows up. Yeah, I think he shows up. You know, I, 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 he's healthy. Him and Russ have been showing a lot of good chemistry, and uh, Jimmy Graham is gonna show why he's the best tight end in the league. All right. So, how many yards do you say he's gonna be catching? Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Jimmy has eighty-five yards. Eighty-five yards. All right. So uh, we've got your score. We got your your rushing. We've got your receiving. Now let's get your bold prediction. What is gonna be the bold scoring scoring wild card that you're gonna predict for this game? 
Okay, it's got it's got it's got to be a scoring play. Okay, uh, be a score? you know what? Let me change that. It does not have to be a scoring play. It could be anything, okay. but it has to be a okay. good card. It has to be okay. a good okay. I'm gonna, you know, you know what I'm gonna do? You know, what I'm gonna say right here is I'm gonna say the Seattle, the Seattle defense finishes the day with five plus sacks. Ooh. Yeah, they're gonna show up. Wait, wait. I, so, I mean, so you're saying five sacks or five plus? Because if you're gonna say five plus, you got to say something else besides five. All right, all right, five, five. I'm gonna say five because I think between Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett. Frank Clark, Sheldon Richardson, I think that Bobby Wagner, man, I think I and we've seen it before. This team can get to the quarterback. These guys are healthy. They're primed. It's week one. You know, when Aaron drops back, I think he's going to have some people gunning for him. All right. So here's the thing. Um, so I'm writing down your bold predictions. You're writing down mine, right? Yep. All right, here's the thing. I actually had that bold prediction. I was going to say that the Seahawks get five sacks in this game. Okay, okay. So we're both going to have the same wild card, but here's the thing. Okay. We both have to have – we have to – if the Seahawks only get three sacks, we don't get any points. But if they come within one sack of our prediction, we, we both get 50 points. Okay. Sounds good. All right, now for the rushing for the rushing, let's see. You said Eddie Lacy's going to lead the way, but I think we're going to see a healthy Thomas Rawls. I okay. Think so I'm going to say Rawls. He's not going to get a. Uh, you know what? The hell with it. I'm going to say he gets. He knocks off 104 yards. Okay. He's going to knock off yards on the run game. Um, Jimmy. Now here's the thing. This is what is. <laughs> go ahead and this is a tough one. This is a very tough one. But I'm gonna say on receiving. Ugh, this is tough. This is this is this is insanely tough. Um mm-hmm. I wanted to say Jimmy and Doug lead the way with the tie, but I don't think that that would work very well with our scoring thing. So I'm gonna say this. Um I'm going to go ahead and say that Doug Baldwin just beats out Jimmy Graham and he'll have, but I'm going to say but I'm going to say that he has at least I'm going to say he has 85 yards receiving. All right, DB Fresh, 85 yards. And then of course you got the five sacks. You got the five sacks for the Seahawks. So we have it all. So here we go. Before we end the show, and we want to thank every every bit of listeners that for listening. We want to thank again Brett Boone for coming on the show again. Again, you got to go get his. You got to go check out his book. I'm gonna go check out his book. Um, so here is how everything is gonna line up for us. So, and here and Matt is gonna write all this down. So since both of us guessed the Seahawks would be, get between 24 and 21 points. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, if the Seahawks come between 19 and 22 points, you get you get the points. Now, if, okay. the, Seahawks get, if the Seahawks get between 23 and 25 points, I get the points. If they get 26, okay. if, if they get 26 points, it's it's out the window. It, it flies out the window. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
Now the thing. Now here's the thing. I'm going to go ahead and say that for the for the Packers, if we if we guess, I'm going to go ahead and give us this. We're both going to get points on this. So if they score between, um, if they score between, uh, I want to say ten and twenty points, both of us are going to get a point. All right, we're both going to get ten points. But if we do guess the correct amount, that's fifty points. Okay. All right. Now for Eddie Lacy. He's got a he's got I'm going to make this tough on you. I'm going to make this extremely tough on you. If he rushes between 90 and 105 yards, you get the points. Okay. For me, okay. now for me if if Rawls runs between 90 and 105 yards, I get the points. Okay. And since we both have Jimmy and Doug at 85 yards, both of us have to come within 10 Yards, seventy-five or eighty. We have to come within that. If both of them know, here's here's the catch. Here is the tiebreaker. If both of them come at the same amount of yards, but one gets more, mm-hmm. that person wins the points. Okay. And we already have our wild card all set. If we if both of us get between, uh, uh in between, I'm going to say this. If we get, uh, if they get four sacks. Or, yeah, if they get four sacks, both of us get 50 points. Okay. All right. But if we – but here's the thing. If both of us get it correctly, here's how we're going to do it. We're both going to get 100 points. Okay. That sounds good. All right. So we've got our game. I mean, this is is something that I was really excited to bring up with you because this is something that I I did when – I used to do podcasts when I first started out, and we always did this game. We always had this. So this is going to be fun. So, all right. All right. So I got everything written down as well. You got, the, you got the point spread, though. Yep. We're good. All right. So we've got everything all set. Matt, mm-hmm. awesome show with you, man. Hey, great job. Great interview today with uh, Brett Boone, and uh, big, big thanks again to Brett Boone for being on the show tonight. Yeah, definitely, man. And here's the thing. Next week, let's see. What time does the Seahawks game start tomorrow or next week? Does it start at 1? Uh, yeah, I think it's 1.25. Uh, it's an uh, afternoon game. Yep, 1.25. So we will be on the air at 6 o'clock sharp. And here's That's great. The, and here's the thing. Uh, Bing is predicting that the Seahawks are going to be – that the Green Bay is going to have a 59.8% chance of winning. <laughs> So let's prove them wrong, shall we? That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds go Hawks. Great. <laughs> Yeah, go Hawks, man. So this is me and Matt signing off, saying go Mariners and go Hawks. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.